So this morning we come back for the third time to settling the mind in its natural state. Such an immensely rich practice. Um, really, I do feel in some ways this practice is to understanding the mind with a telescope is to understanding you know, what's up there in the heavens. Uh, and to place this briefly in a, con- in a very traditional con- uh, context that is really core Buddhism, uh, the Buddha, of course, laid out many ways of classifying or partitioning aspects of reality so that we can shed a clearer light and not enter into confusion, shed a clearer light on different facets of our immediate experience in this Lebenswelt, or Jikten, the lived experience, a world of lived experience. So we have the five skandhas, for example, but another set of categories that's very useful is the 18 elements, or kam chopke. And so these, eight, these 18, of course, relate to the six modes of consciousness, the five sensory and mental. So for each one, you have the mode of consciousness. So for example, mental consciousness. And then you have the faculty. So it's a visual faculty, the auditory faculty. For the five physical senses, the faculty is physical. It's subtle, but it's physical. And then we have the domain in which the, the corresponding appearances arise. So we have the, the domain of visual form, the rupadatu, chukikam, or kasa, zukikam, zukikam, the, the domain of sound and so forth. And so we have the six domains, the six faculties, and the six modes of consciousness. So there we have 18. In this practice, quite clearly, what we're focusing on is having set aside, oh, how many would that be? Uh, 15 out of 18, and that is setting aside, marginalizing, the five, sense, uh, five sensory consciousnesses, the faculties and the domains, we're focusing single-pointedly with mental consciousness, so that datu, with mental consciousness, and, and this is independence upon a mental faculty, and we're focusing on the dharma datu, dharma datu, or simply the domain of phenomena. So there's the relative dharma datu, and that's what we're focusing on here, simply the domain in which mental events take place, and we're focusing with mental consciousness. And then, of course, we're refining that, and that's where the real meditation comes in. Now, something that's quite fascinating to my mind is that in this Buddhist understanding here, and it's the Buddha's understanding, he laid this out, that the, the faculties, the indriya, the faculties for each of the five physical senses is physical. So nowadays, in modern neuroscience, which has shed an enormous amount of light on this, then we speak of visual cortex, auditory cortex, olfactory lobes, and so forth, because if you damage those, then you either stop hearing, seeing, or what have you, or it's impaired, it's, it's altered, what have you. And so there we have that. But then we come to the mental faculty, manendriya, or yikiwombo. That is the faculty that is the basis for the, the arising, the emergence of mental consciousness. Now, of course, if you're operating out of a materialistic framework, and if your primary or s- soul means of studying the mind is the brain, then of course you have no option but to think there must be a physical basis for the emergence of mental consciousness. And I've met, I think he's the world expert on the man who's looking for that, and that is Christoph Koch at Caltech. I, I, I think he's still there. Um, and they're looking for the neurocorrelates of consciousness, which is to say the minimum degree of neuronal activity that's necessary for the emergence of consciousness at all. And one could say that would be mental consciousness. They haven't found it. He believes they've made progress. Um, and from a Buddhist perspective, you may think you're making progress, but you're looking for something that doesn't exist. Because there is no minimal neuronal amount of neuronal activity that is necessary for the emergence of consciousness because consciousness can emerge without, without any physical basis at all. 
if you're a neuroscientist, you have no way of in, even testing that hypothesis because the only way you're accessing consciousness is by way of physical phenomena. So you basically put yourself into a little physical box and you run around in circles in that. And so, but then what is this mental faculty independence upon which the stream, a stream of mental consciousness arises? And in the traditional account of this, it is simply the preceding moment of mental consciousness. It's not, some phys- it's not the frontal cortex. It's not any part of the brain. Nothing. nothing. It's the preceding moment of mental consciousness. Where this becomes a bit more interesting still, though, is, for example, when you're in deep slumber, you're, you know, so deep, dreamless sleep, where you're, frankly, you're really not aware of anything. You don't, you don't even know that you're asleep. But then after some time, you come into a dream. Something's catalyzed, and you start dreaming. Well, then you do have mental consciousness. That's the only one you have. That's the only form of consciousness that's operative because you're not seeing, hearing, smelling, and so forth. You're fast asleep. All of your physical senses are dormant. And, of course, you can still dream even if, you know, even if there's some impairment to the brain. Uh, in any case, where does that first moment of mental consciousness emerge from when you have that first moment of dreaming consciousness, which is purely mental consciousness? Where is it coming from? Well, it has to be a rising independence upon the mental faculty and what would that be? What, what immediately preceded the first moment of dreaming consciousness? Substrate consciousness. That's all there was. You were in deep sleep, and then you're, out of, you're emerging out of deep sleep. You're coming into the dream state. The preceding moment of the first, of the, the, prece- the moment that precedes the first moment of mental consciousness in the dream state was none other than the substrate consciousness. So one might infer there, therefore, that when it really gets down to it, when you start, just start, start dreaming, when you wake from deep sleep into the waking state, or in that first moment of mental consciousness of a, of a fetus, of a human fetus or any other kind of fetus for that matter, that which preceded it, that independence upon which that first moment of mental consciousness arose in this lifetime, or in this day, or in this dream, substrate consciousness, that's the faculty. It is that out of which your mind emerges, it is that out of which your ordinary stream of consciousness, the coarse stream of consciousness, emerges. So in this practice now, oh, the time is passing, I want to stop talking and meditate. In this practice now, we are focusing with mental consciousness on the dhanadhatu, or chirki kam, the domain of the mind, focusing there single-pointedly, and we are, of course, seeking to become lucid in the sense of recognizing mental events as mental events, just as in a lucid dream you recognize mental events as mental events, dreams as dreams. So we're trying to become lucid with respect to the space of the mind and its contents in the waking state, which is quite a worthy, I think an extremely worthy endeavor. Whether we're good at it or bad at it, kind of like, who cares? Get better. Because I think it's really important, right? Not to just be deluded all the time. I mean, we're deluded every time we go into a non-lucid dream. Maybe we can at least kind of put the brakes on it during the waking state and not just be homogeneously have a 24-7 delusional experience of life. Oh, I want to stop talking. Let's jump in.
Settle your body in its natural state, your respiration in its natural rhythm, and for a little while calm the mind by way of mindfulness of breathing. Now direct your mindfulness to the space of the body, which is called the domain of tactile experience, flexie kam in Tibetan. Direct your attention, your mindfulness to the space of the body, this field of tactile sensations, to the space itself and to whatever tactile events arise within that field. Simply observe the nature of whatever arises without projection, without thinking about and visualizing, just being present. Focus first of all upon the tactile events themselves, the sensations of earth, water, fire, and air. Observe their nature without distraction, without grasping. 
And now shift your focus as if with a camera lens, focusing now on the background rather than the foreground, on the space of the body, the space of these tactile events rather than the tactile events themselves. And observe carefully. Does this space have any characteristics? Or is it simply an absence of tactile events? Is it just nothing? Or is it something? Observing carefully, you may indeed note the space of the body is not simply nothing. It is, in fact, the space out of which these tactile sensations emerge, in which they are present, and into which they dissolve. Observe that space carefully. Does it have boundaries? Is it flat? Is it three-dimensional? Does it have color? Does it have any internal qualities? Observe closely. Now let your eyes be at least partially open, your gaze vacant, and direct the full force of your mindfulness to the space of the mind and whatever mental events arise within that domain. Focus first of all on the foreground, the thoughts, the images, and so on that arise in this domain of experience. Observe their nature and simply let them be without desire or aversion.
Now pay special attention within this domain of the mind to the intervals between thoughts. A space-time interval, if you like. Because by attending closely, you are attending to the space of the mind and you are attending to an interval. Once again, ask, is this nothing? Is there nothing to observe? Or is there something to the space of the mind? Does it have characteristics? Is this space present only during the intervals? Or can you detect it, even when, when thoughts and images and so on are present, the space out of which these thoughts emerge, in which they are present, and into which they dissolve? Focus on the background, the space of the mind. Reminder about the gentle vas breathing. If you're sitting upright, or on other occasions if you're walking or standing, you may practice the gentle vas breathing. See whether it's helpful. I do not recommend it, though, if you're in the supine position, if you're lying down. It's too contrived, too effortful.
purpose of this phase of the practice is to enable you to maintain an ongoing flow of knowing even when you cannot detect any distinct thoughts, images, or other mental events taking place. There's always something to know, whether the thoughts and images or in their absence, knowing the space of the mind. So for the rest of this session, let your mindfulness be focused on this three-dimensional space, equally attending to whatever arises in the space of the mind, as well as to the space of the mind. Sustain an ongoing flow of mindfulness, a flow of knowing, without distraction and without grasping, and monitoring this flow with introspection. Let's continue practicing now in silence.
or Nasu. In one system of Buddhist philosophy, actually the first one that many Buddhist monks, including myself, are introduced to in their formal training, the Satrantika. It is exactly these elements of the, the domain of mental phenomena, mental consciousness, the mental faculty, these are ultimately real. That's what really exists. And then we have all kinds of overlays, projections and so forth, and they may exist conventionally or they don't exist at all. They're just, you know, they're simply delusions. But kind of the, the brass tacks, the hardware, the, what's really there, what's ultimately there, objectively there, really there, are these 18 elements. And we look at these and then we sift out by seeing, attending to what's real, then we see through a process of negation what's not real. But then we take the same framework of these 18 elements, bring them over into the Heart Sutra, bring them over into the perfection of wisdom teachings on emptiness. And there, the Buddha in this, in this discourse, the, the, the discourse being attributed to the Buddha, says with respect to emptiness, from the perspective of emptiness, even those 18 elements don't exist. And so, do they exist conventionally? Yeah, but that's all. They only exist conventionally. And that is this flow of mental consciousness as something discrete, having its own boundaries, having its own characteristics, it having qualities. The domain of mental events as a phenomenon having its own qualities. The faculty independent upon which that continuum arises, discrete, having its own qualities. Conventionally? Yes. But then if you look into any one of them, really probing into its nature, looking for that inherent nature, that svabhava, each one winds up being empty. Empty. So that's the transition. Here we're practicing shamatha, attending to the conventional reality of the space of the mind and its contents. And that sets us up. Once we've got a clear vision, a clear perception of mental consciousness itself, which we get from what? Awareness of awareness is giving rise to an immediate, direct ascertainment of the actual nature of mental consciousness. This one focuses right in on the Dhamma Dattu, the conventionally existent space of the mind, gains access to that. And of course, that's all that's left after you've settled the mind in its natural state because you were attending to the space of the mind and its contents, and then there aren't any more contents. So you, then you're just attending to the space of the mind, but you get it. You get it. So with this one, you get the Dhamma Dattu conventionally. With awareness of awareness, you get the mental consciousness conventionally, and now you're set. Now you're ready for Heart Sutra. You're ready for Vipassana to realize the emptiness of all of these elements that seem so real, so substantial in a way, so causally effective, and then realize their emptiness, and even though they are empty, they are still causally effective. Very much like in a dream. Like in a dream. I had a quite an elaborate dream this morning. And I was talking with people, and they would talk back, and I'd walk here, and I'd walk there. Within the context of the dream, there was very meaningful causality. I did this, and then this person did this, and I did this, and then this happened, and this happened. It wasn't just helter-skelter, because it wasn't real. It, was, it wasn't real, and it wasn't helter-skelter. It wasn't just chaotic. There were meaningful causal connections within the dream. And yet, that persona of myself in the dream, was he really there? No, an empty appearance. Everything I was perceiving, the environment, really there? No, empty appearance. The consciousness itself, inherently existent? No. And yet there was causality. There's the big koan of the Madhyamaka tradition. How can it be empty and causally effective? So. 
That should keep you busy for a day. <laughs> Sounded good. Enjoy your day.